0: I'm Josh Cooperman and this is Convo by Design. Today you're going to hear from Laney LA's Anthony Laney. This is a conversation about exquisite modern architecture and a little bit of space planning magic. Like how to make a pool disappear. I'm not kidding, really disappear. Anthony Laney is the creative force behind Laney L.A. His firm is doing some extremely interesting work in and around Los Angeles and the small coastal beach communities of Manhattan Beach and Hermosa Beach. These are small coastal bedroom communities with some very large homes on very small lots where the cost per foot is in the four digits and the cost of dirt alone is some of the highest in the country. This means an endless supply of cash or some very strategic space planning. And to be frank, there's both. Laney has earned a reputation for crafting really interesting and exquisite modern design with a focus on not just tailoring the work to the client, but finding unique ways of adding to the design through subtraction of used materials. As previously mentioned, like making a pool disappear, to create a yard on demand. I'll let Anthony explain how he did that. Are you subscribing to the podcast, if not? Please do, so you get every episode automatically when they're published. You can find Convo by Design everywhere. You find your favorite podcasts, and now you can find us on designnetwork.org, a destination dedicated to podcasts, all things design and architecture. So make sure to check that out. And when it comes to working with a partner who has your back, knows your challenges, and is there for you every step of the way, Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes, but at the heart is a family owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients walker zanger started in 1952 and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have check out their newest collaborative line with designer pieta donovan a, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity walker zanger is on the cutting edge of design featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create and they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. You know what I was thinking about in advance of you and I talking? What's that? It, it's really interesting to me because we're in Southern California. I um, Manhattan Beach is home. And it really... I knew your work and I've seen your work before, but it was only after I became familiar with you that I started looking around. So, oh, wait a minute. That's his. That's theirs. That's Laney (laughs) L.A. That's theirs. And you sometimes you never really know. You're surrounded by someone's work and you you never even realize it.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, for for our team, we um, we invest a lot in. Our home, right in Manhattan Beach and Hermosa Beach, and um, a few miles outside of that, um, projects are, are a bit more rare, just being real. But inside uh, Manhattan and Hermosa, where we've really been trying to make a dent.
0: What's interesting to me is, as as an architect, you can work anywhere in the world. You know, designers, architects, creatives, you can work anywhere in the world, and I find it I find it interesting that you know. Even so, there is an effort to stay somewhat local, and, and it's not just you. I've, I get this. I get this a lot, and I don't. Maybe it's because you still have to work out of town. Like I, I, I've i talked to some creatives before, designers, architects who have, you know, they have clients all over the world. They love to travel. They yeah. figured out how to make like how to make this thing work. I have one a designer friend who's got an office in Florida and an office in L.A. He, he's, he spends equal time in both, loves it. I don't know if I could do that.
1: <laughs> um, I think I would welcome projects no matter where they come from as long as I would say like the premise of the design is captivating but I think just to be real with your audience out of necessity I mean we, we're a young studio so when we launched um, I quickly realized that there was a, a critical mass that came with uh, just focusing on a certain region of Los Angeles Um, in year number one and number two, we were doing projects all over California and LA, and it didn't quite have that critical mass. Um, but once we kind of pivoted and focused a bit more, it was much easier for project one to lead to project two and project three, just because, uh, when we would ask clients, Hey, how'd you hear about us? They would, they would name five people, not just one person. And I feel like that's what I needed to, you know, take a business from zero to beginning, um, more and more, our strategy has um, involved expansion. So we're working hard to um, build relationships with communities outside the little one that we live in, um, and perhaps one day that'll even grow more.
0: It's interesting too that that you talk about being a young firm because when you look at the body of work that you've completed so far, you're you're running at a breakneck pace. I mean, you really are. That it, no, it, it's it's seriously. How do you not? but how did you scale up so quickly maybe we we back this up a little bit and tell me about sure. the or, the origin of the firm and and to talk about how you scaled up as quickly as you did from a business perspective i want to talk about the work in a little bit but i think that you know the internal architecture of the business itself mm. is is really fascinating because a lot of the projects that that you're working on that you've worked on that you've done are really there. There's some groundbreaking work there. There's some amazing work there. Um, And I'm just curious how you, how you formed it, how you started it.
1: Thanks Josh. That's, that's very kind to hear. Um, I mean, it doesn't feel like we scaled fast. If you compare us with any other company to grow to a team of 14 architects in six years is not terribly fast. We do, we do work hard. I, I, when when I when I received that comment, um, what comes to mind is you know we we started uh, we started the studio my wife and I in our garage, and I, I think the thing that might have been a little bit more unique about us is we were determined to bring the creative process to all parts of the company, not just the projects. I was actually like very annoyed by seeing these like creative individuals. You know, be so used to thinking outside of the box and like innovating when it comes to project design, but when it came to any other form of marketing or contract negotiation or networking or business development, they just wanted a rule book. They just wanted someone else to be like, "Oh, here's the best practices to, to do it this way," and that that always like confounded me. And so, I I think a lot of the folks on our team really enjoy trying to question what is the appropriate and like provocative premise of the project but then also asking and how can a provocative set and business model influence that and so we just like to experiment just like in design where maybe you have a site and you we will create a variety of options just to like truly try to discover what are the strengths and liabilities of different arrangements we try a lot of things in business and we just try to label okay those worked. let's do more that didn't work let's never do it again um and i think that's been the theme over the past six years we've moved studios several times and if 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 there has been anything healthy about our model of growth i think it's just a ton of experimentation um and and frankly a desire we don't want to stay quote small we we would love in three years to be a team of 25. That's something that our studio embraces. There's no one on our team that would fold their arms and say, no thanks, I, I don't want to be that. So we're very clear on the direction we want to head.
0: And I drill down on that just a little bit because it's really interesting. You know, I, I, I try to draw correlations whenever I can. I try to find similarities and different differences, right? Cause that's the fun part of working a puzzle of inter- interviewing is I I equate interviews the same way that many of the creatives with whom I speak talk about their own projects. You know, you, you you build it from the from the bottom up. You know, and each one is different, and sometimes uh, something doesn't work, so you back yeah. up and you you start again. But I'm but I'm interested in sort of the in talking to architects in particular. D- designers tend to tend to be you know very very creative on all fronts right but architects i've i've really noticed two two types at two different points and then there's there's different shades of gray in between you have the the uh, extremely mechanical extremely mathematic and then you have the extremely mm. creative um and then there's sort of a variation sometimes one shifts to one side or the other I, I find your approach incredibly creative, and it's interesting to me, too, because that willingness to take chances, um, not necessarily with the work itself or with the engineering of it or the things that, that, you know, we're not taking chances with, but the business side of it, you know, the business side of it to me is fascinating because if you talk to 10 creatives, you will find 10 different business models. And yeah. Yeah. and there are no there are no hard and fast rules anymore. Things change so rapidly on on the business side of it specifically mm. for various reasons, not mm. the least of which 2020 is completely turning our industry on its on its head, right? So where is your where is your center point? As you look at how to move the business forward, how to experiment, but not experiment too far that it, that it causes disruption within the flow and the structure of it.
1: Hmm. Uh, Okay. What a great question. I've, I don't know if I've ever been asked, asked it like that, but what comes immediately to mind is I do think there are in design and in business, there are things that I feel convicted of that. I'm just going to label as timeless. Those are things that I'm not trying to reinvent. Um, Like the, um, my, my, my care concern and like love for my team and my clients, my desire for spaces to impact them, my passion for inviting nature into people's lives in a radical way. Like those are things that I'm, I, I for me are just a given. And we've even worked hard to identify what we call our core values. Like, the the type of individuals that I love working with. Um, one, one of the, our core values is the rookie's advantage. It's just, we want people who, they just embrace a steep learning curve, just all day, every day, whether you're a veteran in the industry or an intern, steep learning curve, like it's a must for us. So we, we've got a collection of these timeless principles, but then everything else, we just want to inherently question. We want to, when, when, when a client says, this is what I want, part of our brain says, okay, let me like take that down. And part of us says like, with all due respect, we're going to challenge that. that that's, just, that's just how we think. And so, um, um, I don't know. One other theme that I'm just going to throw out there is mentorship. I've um, really benefited from radically pursuing mentors, just paying people to talk to me. Um, I, I, that, when people don't do that, I think it's insane. And so even when a mentor will say, oh, well, the best way to do this is X, Y, and Z, Again, I think about it like a design process. Like, I'm like, okay, well, let's put that on the board and then let's break it. Let's look at that the other, you know, let's invert it. Um, and so I think it's just a spirit of experimentation that I, I think comes natural for a lot of designers. Um, and it's that tension between the timeless things that we don't need to defend, we don't need to apologize for, and then everything else that we have the right to question.
0: <laughs> I think that's so funny. You know, the client will say, well, here's what we want and you have done your due diligence, you have spoken to partner one, you've spoken to partner two, maybe you've spoken to the kids if there are any, and it's like, yeah, no, you don't. Yeah, I know you say you want that, but you really don't want that.
1: You know, it's, I, I, I have a high view of, of clients. I've worked with many architects and I know there's many views on like, you know, some architects dream of not having a client. I'm, I'm a t- sort of designer who I love my clients Um, But I think it's that dialogue, it's that dance, and even that tension between the beginning of the premise and the way that that's going to evolve, because nobody can see the end of the novel before it's written, right? We have to, I'm always just politely reminding my clients that they're giving me permission to explore, right? And so- I need them to kick it off with me. I need them to be vulnerable and honest and authentic and to tell me what they really think and feel. But I also need them to kind of hold it loosely because it takes time to bake. And it's in that scary process that I just enjoy it.
0: I think it's interesting, something that you just said, um, because I think, you know, for me, it tells me so much about you. Um, You said nobody can tell the end of the novel before it's read. Some would challenge that and say, you know what, the author, many authors will actually write the ending first, Mm. and then write to that ending, and and I just that's interesting, and I find it interesting that you come from a from a front to back, you know, it's the it's the you're coming from the point of view where it is a journey, not a destination.
1: It is, and I, I mean, we're a young studio, so we probably haven't even earned the right to have a signature yet. But I don't know if we ever will, right? And and I know that's where we strike contrast with other incredible teams. But we're not selling a a final ending. That's not what we're doing. We are the clients who hire us. They're risk takers. They they want to search for something different. And it, it, I promise you, like it's a, it's a, the challenge is in the gut as much as it is in the head. It's the risk and it's the fear that you have to confront. And I don't know where we're going, but hopefully it's those timeless values that resonate with all parties that remind us, okay, we're going in the right direction ultimately.
0: So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about the, the, the journey, right? Yeah. In I find it fascinating. Um, I've told this story before, but when I when I started the podcast yeah. seven years ago, I I've been a fan of design and architecture my entire life. Um, I wanted to be part of it as as I really badly I wanted to be part of it, but I don't possess the talent or the skill to do it myself. So I you know it's you you look and you try to find the things where your strengths are, and for me this is sort of where I like to live. And when I started doing this, I would ask. Creatives. Mm. So, what is your what is your signature style? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not, and it took me years to realize that it, it's not a stupid question. It's just a pedestrian question, mm. right? It's 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 very very basic. Um, there's no nuance. There's there's no there's no essence to the question itself. Mm. And it took me a while to realize that the really really great designers don't have a signature style insofar as they could do modern, they could do Mediterranean if, in, if they wanted to, they could do Spanish revival, they could do anything if they wanted to, but you would always see their fingerprint on the work. You would always see a through line. You would always see some consistency in the work itself, right?
1: I, I That would be my aspiration, certainly, um, to... I don't know. I feel like I, I do think that space can impact people and make an impression sometimes in ways that it's hard to put words to. And that's, I think, another reason why the question around what is the signature can sometimes be hard to capture. Um, it's because like, how do you, how do you truly put words to a feeling? And I'm hoping that, I don't know, at least I can dream that if, if I do a a small house, we just finished a 1400 square foot house and we're working right now on an 18,000 square foot house that when both of those family members walk into their home, the sensation that they feel surrounding it being new, but also nostalgic and like um, just truly like calming to them and, 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 and and like um, bringing their lifestyle even more alive, I want those things to, to be present, even though those two projects couldn't be more different.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, just sort of backing up a, a little bit, I, f- I feel as though, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's rings on a tree, you know, when, yeah. when you, yeah. you, you see a finished product, but it's only after you, you know, cut it to cut it open that you can, you can see the actual growth potential and process. And I, and I view, um, a firm's career I view an individual's career very much the same way and I and I bring that up because in in looking at your work I'm a fan and what I wanted to to know first before I get into the work itself I'm curious how did this year how did the effects of 2020
1: Mm.
0: change the way that you operate both creatively and from the standpoint of the studio?
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, so I, I I consider our team and, and me and my family to be incredibly fortunate. We've we've all been touched by it, and some of us in big ways. Um, but relative to all my friends who are restaurant owners, and we we're just it, we're so fortunate to be able to open up our laptop and work anywhere in the world. That that is just so wonderful for my for me. Um, the when the lockdown started we i'm not saying I'm trying to say this humbly we had everything set up it, it all we've always done all our computing on the cloud our bim server and all of our shared teamwork files nothing is physical in our office in that sense so we closed our computers we went home and we got back to work and we had worked really hard putting in certain um, I'll call them systems of accountability. Um, one of the false dichotomies that we reject is that um, creativity and discipline are not on opposite ends of the spectrum. We, we actually try to embrace both. And so, you know, every teammate has KPIs and scorecards that we update every day so that managers, you know, they really know what's happening um, on all fronts. And s- suddenly I, I realized, like, wow, we, we still have a very clear finger on the pulse of our projects. To be real, it did impact the lives of a lot of my clients. So we lost, um, it was, we lost 11% of our projects pretty quickly. Um, But uh, we work hard to have a kind of a waiting list of projects in the queue and we we replenish that right away. And the only big hole that we felt was how to simulate or approximate the informal design huddle. That, that was a hard thing to do. I feel like, you know, Zooms like this, especially one-on-one can be amazing. But like, how do you have three or four people kind of pepper back and forth and, and give ideas? And so um, a lot of students in architecture school use this website, Miro, M-I-R-O.com. And, and we started using that on a daily basis to have 13 cursors move around the screen at the same time, kind of iterating. Um, it's not, it'll, it'll never be as good as, kind of meeting together in person, but that really helped fill that gap. And now our team has mostly a work wherever you want policy, kind of a voluntary remote policy. And and, and at the moment we kind of flow between half of our team being in the studio and sometimes only 10% of our team being in the studio. Um, so um, it, it has changed us, but ultimately I'm just, I'm left with this deep sense of gratitude that, um, we emerged very healthy relative to a lot of the, the teams that my heart breaks for.
0: How did it change the work?
1: Um, I think that it fast forwarded a lot of the, I don't um, the word that comes to mind is trends. There's probably a better word than that. Um, the themes of health, ventilation, Uh, home office, the appropriate use of outdoor space and homes that just felt like they were a visually quiet or it was a relief from all that we all deal with when in our digital lives. I feel like it helped fast forward all of those things that we were already interested in, but now it just becomes, you know, such a bold Part of the conversation—it's almost cliche. Um, at the same time, I, I, I do think it's it's good that we're recognizing those things.
0: I feel as though the design industry, designers, architects—I've always considered you futurists. You know, it's well if you think about it, architects—you're not designing a building to last for five years. No. you're not building a building. You're not designing a building to last for fifteen years no you know, at the at the minimum you're looking at a 50 year time frame so yeah you know if you're looking at a 50 year time frame you know if we look back now to the late 60s early 1970s right and we look at what design was then
1: mm.
0: you can look at i mean and and i find it interesting because rarely do, do people go back and do that study? Because you know, in, in talking to architects, I say, you know, I'm, I'm designing for 50, 75, 100 years. Well, if you look back to the early 70s, late 60s, and you look at the design that was taking place, they never accounted for the, the technological advancements that we have now. The, they never accounted for the possibility that we would be sheltering in, in place for a year plus. And you know the idea of a home gym, but I feel like now we've sort of caught up and, and advanced beyond that that thinking to the mm-hmm. point where you know if, if you look back to the pandemic, the Spanish flu, how that changed so much about architecture. Right and and it changed so much about design and you know you're not putting porous wood furniture in a bathroom anymore you know you're you're there's so much that changed Uh, subway tile being used you know indoor uses right Le Corbusier talking about the all of this holistic clean um, hygienic style of building in a in a with a modern approach so here we are a hundred years later right. Mm. Um, and I'm curious how, from a specific, because, and this is not like I'm not looking for specific answers necessarily, but I feel like we're on the precipice of, I think I think 21 is going to be a monster year for design and architecture.
1: Tremendous. I mean, I think it's, I think it it is, um, it's going to be crushing for a lot of the unhealthy typologies. I, I, I think about um, just the, you know, um, like creative office design. Uh, we, we have a creative office. I was just on a call yesterday uh, for a new project for a, a new office. And um, just the idea that you have to, you um, park your car, go in an elevator, go in a shared interior lobby, walk down a windowless corridor, fumble with keys to get it. Like that is what a terrible daily micro commute. Why couldn't you park your car, get out, go up an exterior stair past a garden and then into a shaded area into your office? Like there, there are so many models that I think just need to die, so that we can just do it better. And I, I, I'm not an expert on future-proofing <clears throat> buildings, but I, as a young team, we've done dozens and dozens of renovations, and it's fascinating to see um, what the original architect got right and what they did not get right. And you know, even the idea of labeling a space too carefully, I I think can be misguided, right? At the end of the day, you know, when I dream about someone renovating our work, if I'm allowed to dream, it would be that there's this shell that still has beauty and purpose that can be filled however you wanna fill it, right? And so again, part of it will last much more than 50 years and part of it, it's gonna be thrown out in five. And I'm hoping that where we put our time and energy leans a lot more toward the things that'll last.
0: It's funny. Now, I've made analogies before that have completely backfired on me, but it's funny because while, while you're talking, what I'm thinking about, and I've said this before, I, I feel like you mentioned trend, right? Trend is not a bad thing. It's not a bad word in and of itself until you add a Y to it, right? <laughs> yeah. If you take away the Y and you add an ING, it gives you vision, Right. And it's it's funny because as you're talking about this idea of a, of a modern shell, I'm thinking about back to a do you remember Get Smart, the 70s sitcom? Yeah. Do you remember? So for this, there was Don Adams. There was this intro, their intro package where he parks the car. He goes into a phone booth, the phone booth. Okay. He, he dials something. It drops him down into a corridor. He's walking down a corridor. And as he's walking, these doors just automatically open for him but it was ridiculous because he's walking down a corridor and there's like six automatic doors that open for him. Why are there six doors? Why can't there be just one door? Right. (laughs) Because it was so modern and that it was overbuilt and the ideas of, and that's what made it so ridiculous. They had a, the cone of silence, you know, where it would drop this cone over you for you're in it, you're in this secure building with sometimes we get so ridiculous because we follow trends into the trendy instead of the trending and making them. But I think your original point about using what we have to actually make things better instead of make them more complicated.
1: Amen to that. And and I think that's where um, I think across all categories of design, I think the masters have found the way to make nothing removable. Like when, when you, when you look at, um, at least my favorite parts of design, um, let's say the Eames chair or the Gibson Les Paul, there's no ingredient that you can be like, well, that's unnecessary, right? Or or that could have been simplified. It's, it's boiled down to its essence and it becomes a true thing. Um, and architecture, I feel like modern architecture, I'll, I'll say contemporary architecture especially suffers from the, vehicle of additive planar design, right? We're just, we're just going to add, um, horizontal and vertical planes of different materials until it looks good and put bandages everywhere. And, um, I don't think that's timeless.
0: So I don't either. And it's, this is like the perfect opportunity for us to sort of dive into some of your work. And, um, there's more than a few projects i wanted to talk about you, uh, talk about with you but one in particular timeless and just so simple is the black barn thanks so i i've often said it's really funny you you and your firm seem to have chosen areas with the smallest footprint possible In in the in the beach cities, and I and I've said this before. I think it's I I do a I do a panel every year um, at the West Edge Design West Edge, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Called Small Space Big Style. I I love small spaces because I feel like it's not that anyone can do anything with a big space and a big budget, but it it is it is easier to do things with a big space and a big budget. When you have a small space, um, it is more challenging. And some of these things. So the black barn. This is in Culver City, California. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a project from 2018. Mm-hmm. It's so simple and elegant. And due to the due to the color of it, it it just it fits so nicely. Now I'm not there, so I can't tell you what it feels like when you're there. But tell me about this project a little bit.
1: Thank you. It that that was a an exciting one for us it was for a very young creative family and so um the challenge was both economic uh and of course how do we create something that is special and provocative and is the right degree different but the right amount kind of in line with this tree lines neighborhood um it's located right behind the platform in culver city and um, when working with limitations, as I'm sure you know, and a lot of your guests talk about it, it really pushes you to find clever solutions. Um, the project is all about, um, from the outside, it looks like a heavy collection of two to three masses and it's dark. But from the inside, it feels like that is inverted. It feels like all of the masses are suspended from above your head. And that's because we splurged on one thing and one thing only. We have a double height space with this library bridge that diagrammatically kind of connects the primary bedroom on one side and the two children bedrooms on the other side. Those are on the second level. There's a bridge walkway connecting the two and then the the ground floor has the public spaces. And so we just iterated until we found that, that like clean diagram. And then I love it when a project has an idea that helps you get all the way to the finish line. So again, heavy exterior, muted tones, cheerful, Um, like, like very bright interior, where it feels like as vaulted as we can. Um, And so that we just tried to take that to the finish line, the I was very proud of the very low price per square foot. And it was so just heartwarming to see this uh, young client say, we won an AIA award for it. And they, they couldn't believe it that like, the home that they like, (laughs) financed, Uh, actually was recognized by the architectural profession. And that of course made me feel good. And the other kicker to that is it was a duplex site. They could have put two houses on it. And so believe it or not, we worked hard to enable them to move into the back house. We built the front house. We then demoed the back house and that turned into their yard. Um, And so I just think it has a nice balance between indoor space, outdoor space, and for a small house, it has a sectional quality, uh, and I feel like a lot of homes are, are missing that, right? They might have a beautiful floor plan, but we wanted this home to have a compelling section, and I think we did it.
0: yeah, I do too, and and I think what I love most about it is how simple and elegant it is the Thank the you. design The design is really elegant, and when I say it's it's funny too because I, I learned early on in my broadcast career the difference between simple and easy, yeah. They're not the same thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, just because something is simple, sometimes it's more challenging and more difficult to make something simple. Um, it doesn't mean so it's true. easy. So now from, from simple and easy to something that that kind of, kind of blew me away when I first saw it. Um, because small footprints, you're always looking for ways to maximize space. But yep. let's be honest. If you have a five thousand square foot lot, you have a five thousand square foot lot. It's it's not gonna. It's not. You can't add more square footage, right? You can't add dirt. Um, and if you want a pool, <laughs> guess guess what? And it's funny too. You're laughing because you know exactly where I'm going with this. Yeah. Um, but if you want a pool, then you have to give up yard space. Yeah. You just have to, right? Um, but do you? But do you? <laughs> uh, I, I saw this disappearing pool, and it's funny because when I first saw it, and I was going through your website, and I and I saw the the title "Disappearing Pool," I thought, "Oh, okay, I get it." You know, it's going to be an optical something with the landscape, some way of of sort of making the yard appear bigger than it is, but you didn't appear, it does you don't appear to make the yard bigger than it is. You actually made the yard bigger than it is by disappearing the pool, which is just amazing. And it seems like a, like a major engineering issue, but tell me about
1: this. Yeah. It's um, because pool covers are so popular. I often struggle explaining it because people think I'm describing a pool cover. It's not a pool cover. So All surfaces of the pool, the bottom and the walls are made out of a thin porcelain tile. But here's the kicker. You press a button and the bottom of the pool lifts and lowers, but the water stays exactly where it is. That means that the bottom of the pool is actually made up of little squares of tile, uh, about 30 inches wide with a hydraulic worm drive operating every single tile. So you press a button and you can make the pool six feet deep. You can make it disappear. So you can make it dry so that the bottom of the pool comes all the way up to the top of the coping. You can make it a splash pad. You can make it you know, six inches deep so that infants can splash around. You can have stairs appear, stairs disappear. Um, the same is true of the jacuzzi. You can make the bench appear or disappear. And so it, yes, it was a mind boggling technological feat. My job was simply to coordinate consultants, as you would expect, right? The architects just trying to find who on earth, like literally knows how to pull this off and how do we fly them in from Canada and Israel and all these spots and get them to speak the same language, um, you know, kudos to the client for having, Uh, the patience and the vision to pull off something like this. Um, And again, my favorite part, just because I love my clients is that like, they use it all the time. It's the best thing. Manhattan beach has these walk streets and they're very public. Um, you know, kids run up and down the walk streets, no cars go there. And so the idea of like a family, just having the peace of mind that your pool is literally bulletproof safe, right? It doesn't, it's not even there when you don't want it to be there. You press a button and it shows up. Uh, I think is very special. So um, yeah, they, they roll a blade and skateboard and play basketball on top of it, uh, when it's disappeared and they splash in it when it's there. And, um, I'm very, very proud of it.
0: Stepping away from just the technological feat that this clearly is. Um, and it's, it's interesting because prior to this, I hadn't seen this before, but I have a feeling That, you know, once, especially in a community like a Manhattan Beach, you know, once somebody sees it, you're going to you're going to see that again. Um, But here's what's interesting. And here's uh, getting away from the tech technology for a minute. It's the use of space. Mm. It's the use of of that particular space, because, uh, you know, I'm just sort of rough guessing. But I'm going to guess that maybe that's a 2000 square foot yard. You know, yeah. all told, with an yeah. overhang, yeah. and and you you have an outdoor kitchen, you have a TV viewing area, you have a fireplace, you have a pool, you have a spa, you have what what appears to be about two to four different seating areas. You have a walk street that you've you've put up the glass so that you get visual, but it's still there's some noise abatement there. There's some yeah. privacy. You've, yeah. I mean, you there's so much packed into this um and it it also looks like there might be even a little bit of green space that i can't really tell from the overhead but how that's what's amazing to me is how much is packed into this small space
1: we we first tried to do it without the disappearing pool Um, and i love the challenge of um you know really considering these spaces to be rooms right um just how do you space plan it in a way that adds flexibility and excitement and variety and flow and all these things. Um, and we did so many designs where we tried to pack it all in. It it was really the, um, the flexibility that the disappearing pool added that I think was what we finally needed. Um, but yes, even without that disappearing technology, um, I, I'm very passionate about designing these outdoor rooms that have those ingredients in the right balance. Um, you know, with the weather that we have in Southern California, um, one of my favorite compliments is when clients will say, Oh, it's my quote, favorite room in the house. They, they know it's funny because it's not in the house. Um, but it's, it's the room they use a lot. So yeah, um, in Manhattan Beach, it's the city of inches. Uh, real estate is at a major, major premium. And so, I don't know, in my opinion, good design is all about getting those things to kind of fit in the right way.
0: So speaking of puzzle pieces and getting it to fit in the right way, um, one more I want to jump to, just because of the the way that you put this together is your Eclectic British Contemporary. <laughs> and I'm talking specifically for the out side for the outdoors. You you have managed to fit in a pool. You have managed to this is a very narrow lot. And the amount of of outdoor room, outdoor entertainment space that you added to this. And I'm I want to ask specifically about the process that you go through because you know and as i look at at this i'm looking at the photography so i can't really tell um how big the lot is but i'm this is narrow
1: yeah it's it's a small lot and i um i I, soon we're gonna have even more (laughs) images of that project to show um i'm so proud of this client um I'm sure you know the website House H-O-U-Z-Z. Yeah. Um, And I think the design um, industry, I think has a love-hate relationship with it. Um, But this client found us on House, And um, again, it's a young family. And it was so wonderful the way that they were just describing their vision of something that you would not expect to see in Manhattan Beach. Um, They could put three stories. They decided to put one story. Um, They could have built out the entire lot. They chose to keep um, literally as much of the existing landscape as possible. There are dozens of camellias on this property. And we, like the builder was so upset that we had to protect them because they were right next to our foundation. And we literally built the fence around these camellias, right? So the, the, the client just had this passion for let's let's be respectful and let's have just the right vibe on the site I think what we got to bring to it was traditionally you would not think that a 45 foot lap pool would fit when you are not doing it you know double uh, uh, a second story and all these things but we said well if you put it literally next to the house if you Compose the house in these two gabled volumes where again, public and private, you enter at the intersection of the two. If you don't have a front door on the street, if you just walk down the side yard, every house has a side yard. So get rid of the front door, walk down the side yard that, that basically you would otherwise have to walk down an interior hallway, like every other house, but we're going to make that exterior journey part of the process. You see the pool at the at the intersection of the two gables, you've got this quiet little um, little entry foyer. Um, and my favorite part about the project is we've got these three courtyards. And I don't even know if you could see that yet because we haven't um, shown that photography yet. But in the front of the home is a private courtyard off of the, the main um, bathroom. In the middle of the home is a private courtyard for just doing yoga. And, of course, the backyard has this um pergola over it and yes we could have had the the big sliding pocketing doors but they said no let's do let's do a pair of french doors right and because the home is only 1400 square feet we were then able to quote afford a higher price per square foot right it's just math right the denominator decreases the numerator increases and so the level of finishes and you know, the, the light fixtures we were able to specify uh, were of a more timeless, let's make it last forever quality. So uh, you can tell I love this project. I can't wait to show more of it to the world. <laughs> Thanks for asking.
0: So now I want to jump and I, I uh, two more. Um, okay. And by the way, I could do this all day, but okay. but okay. I won't. <laughs> um, but two more, because now I kind of want to jump to something this, this is like the demonstration of range, right? So now I wanna to jump to something completely different and that's your Coon Drive residence, mm. right? So now you're not, you're not talking about small anymore. Now, this is a 5,500 square foot home, which, which is a, a great size, especially in a, in a small beach community. But you, you also, there's native grasses, there's, there's native materials that are incorporated into the walls to make a very modern structure with its low slung appearance. It kind of just sort of melts into, into the, into the site. And um, it's interesting because you can tell by this, that the, the it's not flat. You ha- you have to work with some sloping and, You've you've got just this amazing Southern California gem sitting there, low slung, but it's modern and it's clean, but it's still natural and it's not. Um, it doesn't look like it's a sanitized, ultra modern, super white. I mean, you've you've clearly with the materials, <laughs> you kind of work through that a little bit, even though it's a very modern structure.
1: Mm, thanks. Thank you. It's also one of my favorites. Um, So many of the homes that have gorgeous views, I think struggle with being, in my opinion, just a little bit too predictable, right? When, When there's this amazing vista, it's like, all right, you put all glass there and you move on, I guess. But this home didn't have the ocean view. It actually had mountain views. It was uh, removed from the coastline by several blocks. And the opportunity that we saw was, it was all about the inward views. It was all about creating um, just a destination that looked inward on itself rather than kind of out to the horizon. And it was that opportunity that allowed us to just, I think, be more poetic with the massing, right? The, the home kind of wrapped its arms around this middle garden or a great outdoor room and it kind of terraces back away from that. Um, and so it has a, just a more solid reserved, I think grounded feel of course there's big openings, but those are recessed very deep within these slab overhangs. And, um, yeah, I, that, that's a home that I, I would love to spend time in, uh, just because it's, Again, when you're in it, it's it's that Frank Lloyd Wright concept of you enter, you go into the garden, the architecture surrounds you and and where did the world go?
0: It it's interesting too because um my favorite part of conversations like this always revolve around choices. Mm-hmm. Because the choice is everything. It's all yeah. in the it's all in the edit, right? Yeah and what's interesting too is on the uh, you know on the other side of the pool you you know the imagery is showing that there's a there's a big yard that has just the the natural native grasses mm-hmm. the choice could have very easily been in this neighborhood or in any southern california neighborhood or in any other american neighborhood for that matter you could have you could have ploughed it under You could have flattened it out. You could have put turf. You could have thrown an ADU out there. You could have, you could have put a basketball court. You could have put a pickleball court. I mean, you could have done any number of things, right? You could have, but sometimes making the choice to do nothing but support, you know, the, the native grasses, it's not a, it's not a functional yard yet. By its presence, it makes the home more functional it It makes it a more serene environment. It actually adds to the to the element of what one must feel being inside looking out
1: i I, I appreciate you labeling all of that, and I could not agree more with your your opening statement about choice being everything. I think that's why. I felt so motivated to start my own practice was, and I, I don't even know if I could have put words to it in the beginning, but like, I wanted to be part of the premise, not just the design solution because that's where so much of the design kind of gets baked, right? Upstream is like, what are the choices, the program, the premise, the idea we're trying to explore. And and so often yeah, that's where the magic is. It's like the pre-design that can be so provocative. Um, not that architecture can't be found throughout all phases, but it's that early phase that I find most intriguing. And,
0: and it's interesting too, because throughout, you know, you talk about through lines and throughout the course of, of this conversation, which, you know, while we're wrapping it up now, it would I would be remiss not to mention that, you know the the talk about a story and a narrative from beginning to end, and the poetry, and you know, kind of kind of writing a story. You know, we talk about um, we talk about architecture and the language mm. of architecture all the time, right? And I think sometimes. It gets lost. I've often said that, you know, architecture is a language, you know, it's mm. it's clearly it's a language and design is kind of like the storytelling within the language itself. Mm. I think all too often the the structure is is lost, not the physical structure, but the structure of the story. Right. Mm. And one of the reasons I like your work as much as I do, and I'm so fond of it is because you could tell that the story is baked into the structure of the of the building of, of, the, of the structure itself, the structure and the structure. It's the same, it's, it's, it's worked together, a, a very inelegant way of, of uh, conveying the idea. But I think you know what I'm saying. And I, I'm, I'm just curious, as you think about growing the firm, do you worry that you, you get away from your original way of storytelling because mm-hmm. one of a couple things can happen. And, and look, it's common in the industry. You build something or you design something that someone loves and then they, friends find it and they say, I want that, <laughs> right? And then you almost get to the point where you're, you're typecast. If you're a writer, now you're, you're mm. sort of writing and telling the same story. Mm. Is that something that you think about yet? Or is that just something that you're going to, you're going to cross that bridge when you get to it?
1: Oh man. Great question. I, so, I I mean, I think you're striking on what I see as a timeless challenge. How do you scale art, right? If, if what makes us special is the, just the human connection, that boutique process, the dance between designer and architect, how does that scale? And if we're trying to be innovative in a process, is that threatened by a degree of repetition? I think I've been come I, so I'm, I'm just, a few thoughts come to mind. One is I am, I used to have a deep desire to always do something different. And I think that's being replaced by a recognition that my studio is interested in in pursuing a certain set of ideas that don't need to be reinvented. So maybe this conversation is coming full circle, but there's the timeless things that if I can always be chipping away, how to bring nature into the home, how to do it in a clever way, how to do it differently. I don't think I'm ever gonna get tired of that theme, right? I will be a little bit heartbroken if, and this hasn't happened yet, if a client says, I love what you did for my neighbor, can you do it again? I don't think we've reached that form of notoriety. But when that day comes, I hope I have the moral conviction to say, let's back up a few, right? Let's, I, I would like to, you're seeing the final results, but it's, it's really the journey that got us there that's special. And maybe it'll take you somewhere else. I'm hoping I have the courage to say that. Um, so I think the short answer is if we get there, I think I'd be a little bit scared of that. But, but hopefully we'll, our team will rise to the occasion if we ever confront that.
0: I have no doubt. Uh, Anthony, this was great. I really appreciate the time and the conversation. Thanks, Josh. Thank thank you, bud. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Walker Zenger and Thermosol for your partnership. And thank you for listening. Without you, there is no joy in doing this. You are appreciated. My hope is to bring you inspiration and sublime design through these conversations to give you that extra push to be the most creative designer you can be. I think we did that here. I hope so anyway. Please make sure you're subscribing to the show so you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X and Convo dot com. Be
1: well and try to remember to take today first. <laughs>